You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we never sleep. I'm your host, Justin M. Lesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. It was interesting watching all of the farce, all of the narratives developed this week, and maybe it's just because it was spring break and I wasn't in the mat room and in the classroom all the time. Not to say that I wasn't in the mat room at all. I had practiced four of the five days, but... I think I just had more time to see what was going on and to see how both sides shaped the narrative. So I think there's a lot to talk about in regards to farceness, wokeness, is farceness a word? It is now. To get into it, let's get my co-host joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hello, hello. Yeah, uh, speaking of farcical, so... You know, we've been having so much rain farceness. here. What? Oh, farceness. Sorry. Uh, we've been having so much rain this week. Uh, Wednesday, it rained again. Thursday, I uh, wake up, start working, and uh, like clockwork, at 9 a.m., the power goes out. And uh, come to find out after uh, figuring out uh, how to report a power outage on the SE's uh, website from the 1980s. That's Southern California Edison, for those of you not in California. Apparently, it rained so much that a telephone pole started falling over, and so it took them all day to replace that telephone pole, so I had no power for an entire workday, which uh, basically means I didn't <coughs> get an entire workday that day. <laughs> so uh, it was it's pretty funny, and we've got more rain coming, uh, Justin. I think we're getting all of Florida's rain here in California. I think you sent us uh, all your rain. Yeah, it actually hasn't been very rainy so there might be some sort of truth to that although i don't want to put that out into the universe because whenever like so today it's sort of in the 50s here which is sort of you know cooler than normal for this time of year i mean we've had some 90 degree days already so i don't i don't want to put into the universe what you're saying william because i feel like environmentalists are going to be like oh this is an example of climate change yes yes well i'm sure it is an example of climate change because when it wasn't raining it was an example of climate change and if we know anything it's that any weather event is uh related to climate change like definitionally yeah well i mean necessarily the climate influences the climate so yeah that's not incorrect however to Ascribe it to humans and saying we're destroying the world is a different issue. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've never heard until until this uh, season, atmospheric river. So uh, you're talking about narratives. That's a narrative now. It's a thing now. And it never was a thing before. It was just called rain before. Well, thank you for introducing me to that term. I've, ne- I've never heard that before. So I'm so sure we're going to have an atmospheric river edition at some point <laughs> on the show this season. That, that's very interesting. Uh, this, this edition, though, is the crying woke edition. Because amongst the indictments and the bank collapsing, we have had one word come up over and over again this week, and it's the word woke. 
So we're going to get into that. Let's do it in Life on the Midside. Take a good look around. Just like really sun. No, we just complain and I hope that this mic goes on. Because I'm on a roll here. I hope this is making some sense. I hope that you throw up your hands and sing it and tell all the haters that they should just shut up and As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. That's the midside.com slash Patreon or the midside.com slash Locals. We accept any and all support, including or perhaps most of all, affirmations. And before we get into all this stuff about the bank collapsing and Trump being indicted and how this is related to or not related to woke culture, which is apparently up for debate what that is in in general. Uh, I want to talk about something I love to talk about, if you know me personally, or you've listened to the show for a long time, and that's driving culture, driving etiquette. And the reason I love to talk about this, William, is because I think it's a good barometer of where things are headed. And now nobody listening think that that's a stupid dad joke because it's not. I don't mean like literally where the cars are headed, right? What I mean is I think it it reveals the way people are subconsciously. And I, I, the way I delivered that word sounded like there was more coming, but it, 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 it reveals the way people are subconsciously, right? Where their psychology is at, where their philosophies are at, what decisions are they making without, uh, anyone else there, right? Because people have this illusion that they're in the car by themselves and, you know, nobody sees what's going on, even though it's a super social activity, right? So I was thinking about a choice I always make when driving, William, and I wanted to know your choice and perhaps midsiders can chime in in any way they want to contact us, right? In the Discord, if they want to reach out via social media, let us know what you think as well. I know uh, Daniel already shared his opinion, in our, in our thread, in our text thread. But I wanted to ask you this question, William. So when you're turning right onto a road, so you're stopped on a road and you have to turn right onto another road and you're checking to see cars that are coming. If there is one car coming, so there's a car, it's on your left, it's going to pass in front of you. There's no car behind that car. What do you do? Do you wait for it to pass, or do you turn out in front of it? I think, all things being equal, I would turn out in front of it, because I'd rather have the dangerous driver behind me than in front of me. Okay, that's interesting. Why? Uh, because every I have to assume by default that every driver is dangerous in California. Yes, and why would you rather the dangerous driver be... Be behind me, because, of, be behind you. Yeah, yeah, because in because uh, I can I can be ahead of the driver, and any trouble that they cause could be behind me. The only thing I'm risking there is, I guess, getting rear-ended again. But uh, but yeah, I'd rather have the the dangerous driver behind me. Okay, that's interesting. That is a perspective I hadn't considered, and there's some rationality there, right? There's some reason there, so. Yeah. I, I can respect that. I, that makes sense, right? If they get into an accident in front of you, your reaction time is going to be very slow. Or, sorry, I don't want to talk about your reaction time. The time that you have to react yeah. will be very limited. So it doesn't matter how quick you can react. Right. 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, obviously, that that, that that doesn't mean I'm going to pull out in front and cut somebody off. I think there's a there is some drivers who try to do that, right? They're just like, I don't care about anyone else. You know, I'm going to cut this person off, and then you know, be very slow. Uh, but thankfully, in in my car, uh, you know, my uh, my Tesla Model Three, it's very rare that I would be considered cutting someone off because I can pretty much accelerate to the proper speed instantly. Yeah, and now you're getting at what I was getting at with this, right? That's what I've noticed all the time, right? And this is a major pet peeve of mine. The number of people who pull out in front of me when I have no one behind me is it's almost 100% of the time. And and they do it when there's not much space to pull out in front of you, whether this is changing lanes or turning onto the road in front of you. Yeah. And it made me realize, and I don't know if this is a rule I was taught or it was a rule I taught myself, a rule I developed, is if there is only one car coming, I will always wait for that car to pass and then get behind that car. Oh, yeah. Growing up, I was definitely that way. But, I mean, I grew up kind of, you know, out in a rural area in Michigan. So, you, you know, you would always, it would just be, it was just the polite thing to do. Let the person go in front and, of you. Maybe, maybe not if it's like a tractor or something, but like, you know, let, like let the person go. That's on, already on right. the road. And then if they're going to be slow, then figure out a way to pass them from there. But yeah. almost always now, there seems to be the assumption that you're supposed to get in front of them. Now, as you're saying, maybe this is a city driving thing. But I, it doesn't seem like to me, William, it's simply a, a, a self-protection mechanism because your argument yeah. makes sense. It mainly seems like people always need to be ahead of people. Oh man, is that that is so the truth? Just how many times you probably seen it a hundred times when you lived out here? How many times have you seen people just weaving? Like the traffic is up, but it's not like slowed down yet, right? And where there's lots of cars, but we haven't, you know, re- reached that critical mass of having to slow down yet. And there's just someone literally weaving in and out of traffic. Usually, it's in like yeah. a, a crappy car where you're like. uh waiting for the car to like roll over or, or, you know, not be able to, t- to take a, take a turn. They're just squeezing between lanes and like darting in and out, uh, uh, and trying to try to go about 10 miles an hour faster than, than you should with all that traffic. Yeah. Well, and that was what spurred this thought is, uh, it's not just there. It's everywhere. Right. I thought California drivers were the worst, of the worst and they are, but, I mean, New York drivers, Puerto Rico drivers, which I say those two specific types because a lot of people move from Puerto Rico and New York to here, or they move from Puerto Rico to New York to here, right? And when I say New York, I mean New York City, right? There's a lot of those kind of drivers here in the Orlando area. And the other day on the road, I was turning right off of like, it's a highway, but it's not like a freeway, if that makes sense. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's more urbanized. And I was turning onto a two-lane road that then becomes a two-lane roundabout, which leads into a residential area. And I was in the right-hand lane getting ready to turn right, and a car comes up the left-hand side, cuts in front of me, and then turns right in front of me. Now, there was no one in line behind me. There was literally no one. So, of course, I honked the horn, right? Because that's dangerous, is it not? Yeah, yeah. And when we turn onto the the two-lane road, the car straddles the two lanes so I can't get by him. (laughs) Well, obviously, you need to be uh, 
you need to uh, endure some pain for inconvenience for being being something other than a road cone in his way, his or her way. Right. So for for honking, I had to be punished. Correct. Yes. Yes. Well, and that's the thing, right? I, I agree with Adam Kroll. It's not personal. But again, I think this reveals the growing narcissism in our culture. The idea that the road exists solely for my benefit. And I, I have to ask you, William, because you're the one who brought up the idea of city versus country driving. Do you think this is more prevalent in the city because you dehumanize other people more because there are more cars? And do you think this has to do with the fact that we're the population is growing and we're starting to live in denser areas? Is this contributing to the narcissism? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know if if that's necessarily true. Because I think it's been getting worse everywhere. Maybe it's just the 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 city's just accelerating it, right? People people dealing with uh, traffic in the city is just uh, um, making it worse. But uh, I think it's I think it's happening in both areas. So the 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 increase of narcissistic uh, uh, behavior while driving, I think it's happening uh, across the board. Yeah. Something to to think about going forward. I was, of course, asking leading questions to be provocative and get provocative answers. But something something to keep in mind is just to when you're driving, think about your own safety and the other people's safety when doing it. And that's why when there's one car, I let them go first and then I pull out after them because I don't think it's very safe to pull in front of them. Although if there is enough space, I will pull in front right i mean if they're like half a mile back or a quarter of a mile back i'm not going to wait for them but if it's you know 500 feet i'm going to let them go by so just something to think about and of course when we're talking about narcissism we have to bring up our multiple time narcissist of the year winner the fact that we almost named the award after him And of course, part of the reason we have to talk about him and part of the reason he's been narcissist of the year is he won't let us forget him, right? Because he's running for president again. And this past week, one of the major stories, I would say this is one story and the other one is uh, the whole Silicon Valley bank collapsing. And we'll get to that. We'll get to that after a brief stop in Florida. Is uh, Trump is apparently going to be indicted. Now, before I read any of this news article... William, this just started as a rumor first on social media, didn't it? Because people were asking me about it, and I was like, I don't know, like Twitter saying something, but I don't see any news reports or anything. Yeah, am, yeah. am I am I right? Yeah. Well, and I, so, I think the New York the New York uh, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, or sorry, this is the State Attorney's Office, right? Um, they leak like a sieve, so uh, you know people people were saying it was rumored and that they were hearing from from the uh from the uh prosecutor attorney's office or whatever they're called in New York this thing and then all of a sudden Trump says oh I'm being arrested on Tuesday right and that was when it became interesting where and uh, I'm reading from an article here uh this article is from what website is it from the New York Times right Trump made the declaration on his site, Truth Social, at 7.26 a.m. on Saturday in a post that ended with, and this is all caps, 
The far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest. Take our nation back. Now, uh, what's interesting here is, William, he's basically using this as a campaign advertisement, isn't he not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's had a great... uh you know, come back on social media. He's uh, starting to post on Facebook again. And like, there's YouTube meme videos going back up. But I think the, the Trump meme factory is starting to, uh, starting to, to restart. So, uh, yeah, that's, this is, uh, this is, this will be, uh, I think this will backfire if this is going to actually happen. If they're actually going to frog march him, which is, you know, what the district attorneys love to do. That's what they love to do the most. They're going to do the frog march and arrest. Uh, this may actually backfire on him a on uh, on 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 the Democrats a bit. I don't know. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, I mean, this is his entire strategy, right? I was just talking to somebody about this last night, where he was saying that, um, you know, Trump is using this to advantage, and I was like, this is his entire thing he did last time, isn't it? This is how he got yeah. elected last time. Everything they they said, he used it against them. Yeah, and of all and of all the things to uh to prosecute trump for the stormy daniel uh and uh non-disclosure you know hush money that's that's they're trying to make that a campaign like a campaign ad well that was the next thing i was going to get to right like here is the uh here's the next paragraph from the article i wanted to read prosecutors working for mr bragg have signaled that an indictment on mr trump could be imminent but they have not told Mr. Trump's lawyers when the charges expected to stem from a 2016 hush money payment to a porn star would be sought or an arrest made. People with knowledge of the matter said at least one more witness is expected to testify in front of the grand jury, which could delay an indictment. The people said so. That's exactly what I want to bring up. What you just said. The charges are expected to stem from a 2016 hush money payment to a porn star, who is, of course, Stormy Daniels, as you said. I, I don't understand, William. A, what are they going to charge him with? And B, out of everything, remember they, they even accused Trump of taking nuclear documents? Yeah, yeah. Right. Out of everything, this is what we're going to go after Trump for? I don't know. I mean, it, this could be part of the spin too. So, you know, maybe the the narrative shaping too is that they that people think it's about this. Um, but I I don't remember exactly, Justin. But I think the uh, the federal guys already decided they couldn't prosecute anything. There was no election campaign finance laws at the federal level. They're, so there, this has to be being done at the so state that's the level. connection the argument the argument is he's using campaign funds from new york to pay off stormy daniels yeah and that somehow breaks some sort of new york election law somehow yeah that's got to be an illegal use of funds right those fu the funds with and this is the argument against campaign finance reform right the idea that it gives government oversight on what you can and can't spend money on now that's not saying we're saying you should use it to pay off porn stars so they don't expose your affairs but the point being when there is government oversight you have to account for every dollar yeah can only and go i don't to think that I, I don't think that legitimate. he used his personal money to pay this so what they would say is that he should have declared this as an election uh an election spend i think is what they're trying to say do you see how that right, makes it even worse? The, so, so like correct, he, pri he privately paid be, but then they're like oh this has to do with the election therefore you should have declared it as an election expense the issue is 
there's lots of other reasons why he might have wanted paid for this, right? Like saving his marriage, keeping his name out of the, uh, saving his family embarrassment. Like there's a ton of other reasons that that would be valid for the spend, right? Other than the election. So that's well, right. what makes well, it hard well, to prosecute, or like right. What you're talking about, William, actually makes it far more insidious because it's towing the line or blurring the line between public and private citizen. There is plenty of reason for a private billionaire to pay off a porn star he had an affair with. And that's what you're referring to, correct? Yeah, yeah. Now, Trump is a public figure, but he wasn't always a political figure. Are they then arguing that retroactively anything he did as a public figure is related to being a political figure? And then therefore, if you're a political figure and a public figure in the year 2023, anything you do as a private figure is related. And at that point, does the government not have right to have oversight over every dollar a billionaire and really every dollar every human being under their jurisdiction Spends, yeah. and uses. Yeah, didn't aren't they still prosecuting one of the one of the people who were creating memes during the election and calling it campaign finance violations or something? I, I'll have to I'll have to remember that. But the, yeah, there there was one of the one of the, one of the people who did a bunch of memes during the uh, election back then uh, is still being prosecuted for basically posting memes, calling it con- campaign contributions. Well, and and that projection is, I think, sort of one of the prevailing themes or the prevailing theme of our episode this week, because that shows the way they think of things, right? They think of things as everything we're doing is 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 public and shaping the narrative. Everything and is we political. Even, everything is political. Taking everything a shit is, is political. political. Yep. Right. I mean, that was a line in Batman versus Superman, right? The the communist perspective, the Marxist perspective. I don't want to say communist. I want to say Marxist perspective of, you know, every act is a political act. Right. And they were projecting that onto Superman. The idea that yep. everything Superman did was a political act when really the, the movie was saying, no, Superman is just choosing based on his own values. Just because he's more powerful doesn't make it a political act. Right. Politi- politics is the branch of philosophy that says how we ought to organize society just because a, a, a figure public or private makes a decision that doesn't make it political. That just makes it personal or social. That's not about organizing society, but that's the argument of social constructivists of relativists is that every action every one of us takes is necessarily political because we're necessarily constructing society and how society is organized and and therefore, we're saying how society ought to be organized based on our value system, and we're shaping it. So we have a moral responsibility to be aware of that and be in control of that. And we even see it evidenced in this article and in the way this story is being approached. And this will wrap into our overall topic of wokeness as well because of the response to the bank and the response to this. But in this specific article, there's four paragraphs to try to link this to the quote-unquote insurrection, which is absolutely insane. This is, this is on one hand, William, absolutely despicable, but on the other hand, it's absolutely 
fascinating for how brilliant it is. And what I mean by brilliant is how easily they slide into linking all their narratives together. Like I could never, I, my brain just wouldn't work that way. I can see how they do it, but my brain just, the, the, the organizational structure in my brain keeps things very separate that are separate, but the way they link these things together. So here is how they link Trump's indictment for paying hush money to a porn star to the insurrection, quote unquote, January 6th. Mr. Trump's post on Saturday urging his supporters to protest and reclaim the nation carried unmistakable echoes of the incendiary messages he posted online in the weeks before the attack on the U.S. Capitol. So, William, before I continue, the way they're linking this is, and this is where it's brilliant, anytime Trump posts on social media now, they essentially want you to think that it's a a supposed or attempted insurrection of... (laughs) The United yeah. States. That's yeah. what they're essentially saying. <laughs> Every time he In- asked people to come to a rally, it's it for, for it's for insurrection purposes. Right. In the most notorious of these messages posted on December 19th, 2020, he announced on Twitter that he would hold a rally in Washington on January 6th. Be there, he told his millions of followers, will be wild. At the rally on the ellipses near the White House... Mr. Trump told supporters to march to the Capitol, where the certification of the 2020 presidential election was taking place. He is under investigation by federal prosecutors for his activities before the attack. Investigators later determined that far-right extremist groups, as well as ordinary Trump supporters, had read his tweet as a clear-cut invitation. By the way, do you see the equivocation there between the far-right extremist groups and ordinary (laughs) Trump supporters to make you think they're the same? Wait, Like I said, it's brilliant. Also, as an invitation. An invitation to what? Insurrection? Or to march on the Capitol? Like the the plain reading of his words. (laughs) Right. Well, they're saying marching on the Capitol is Is an insurrection. insurrection. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anytime you protest against anything that a Democrat uh, is doing, then it's an insurrection. That that's the uh, that's the reframing of the uh, Overton window. You don't you don't uh, you don't like abortion. Uh, you must be uh, protesting it uh, in order to uh, overthrow the government. Well, and in here now, let's take that thought and add to it. They almost immediately sprang into action, acquiring protective gear, setting up encrypted communication channels, and in one case, preparing heavily armed quick reaction forces to be staged outside Washington. For the event. So not only are they being insurrectionists, but what are they being? Militant insurrectionists, right? Yeah. They're preparing for war. Wait, are they and describing then, are they describing Antifa? That sounds like uh, Antifa. That's what I was gonna say in your last comment, William. They're really projecting what they're doing yeah. onto Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then they literally do that, right? They don't say Antifa, but they say the the converse of Antifa, right? Leaders of groups like the Proud Boys and the Three Percenter Militia Movement also started to whip up members with bellicose language, and their private messaging channels were increasingly filled with plans to rush to Mr. Trump's aid. So not only do they turn Trump's message about being indicted about hush money to a porn star into an insurrection— they turn it into a militant insurrection about white supremacy. See how brilliant this is? Yeah. The way they do this? Yeah. This is uh this is next level, man. This is uh It's next level. It the it, the propaganda is so clear. I, I like well, it's so it's 
I think it's it's both next level and also ineffective. And the reason I'm going to say that is people aren't reading this stuff anymore, right? Like this is going to this is going to the what one percent of people on the left that read these kinds of articles. The, the, these narratives aren't going to be as effective. I think this time, the the news well, media I, is I, crushed now. Yes and no. So I agree with your premise that the news media is crushed, and I agree that it's not as effective. Yeah. However, I think you need to recognize, or let me say it this way, I think it's important for us to recognize that we've been not only trained to recognize these issues, but we've been doing this on a podcast for a decade now at this point. That's true. So it's so transparent. It's so correct. Yeah. But what they're banking on is the people who do read this, look at the headlines, such as my wife going, Oh, Trump's going to be indicted. What's he going to be indicted about? And then I have to go into a whole explanation with her about why I don't give a shit. And she's like, why do you not give a shit about a former president being indicted, right? She doesn't say that directly, but, like, that's what most people are thinking, right? And I'm a person who can see through it. What they're banking on is people who buy into this, then pushing that forward to other people who will buy into things easily. So they're banking on this going from the regular media to social media to the way people interact in the real world. Now, because there are those three levels of transmission, and as you said, it's more transparent to people like us and people, you know, who are also smart but don't have podcasts, there are fewer people who buy into it, but still a large percentage buys into this kind of stuff, as seen by all the other stuff we're going to talk about this week. Because they they link it, right? They link it, William. Yep. And with the Trump stuff, it's a little easier to see. But when we start talking about, okay, something I saw this week before we get into the banks is to stop in Florida very quickly. uh, There was another ruling made on Florida's higher education stop woke law. And I saw this over and over again on the Internet this week. And maybe it's just me. I don't know. Did you see any stuff about this? I saw a little bit about it, but I I really didn't get get really understanding the details. So glad we're right. So that's why I found this article. Right. That's why I found this article. Okay, this article is from NBC News, and I'm going to read some stuff from it. A federal appeals court has rejected Florida's request to enforce its stop woke law championed by Governor Ron DeSantis, maintaining a block on some of its provision while challenges play out in court. DeSantis, a Republican, signed the legislation passed by the GOP led state legislator in April of last year. Tallahassee U.S. District Judge Mark Walker in November temporarily blocks some provisions in the law, which restricts discussions of race, gender, and inequality from being enforced in public colleges and universities, calling it positively dystopian. DeSantis's administration then appealed the ruling and asked the court to lift Walker's injunction. The motion was denied by the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals on Thursday. Adam Steinbaugh, an attorney for fire, and I'm omitting stuff here. I'm jumping around in the article. I don't want you to think this is straight the article. I'm just reading what I think is the relevant stuff. An attorney for fire, a group that participated in a separate lawsuit against the legislation, said, In the college classroom, you're supposed to learn from an exchange of ideas, which means that it's not one viewpoint that's being inculcated to the students. You don't get to replace one orthodoxy with another, and you're not going to get freedom of speech through censorship. Steinbaugh told NBC News. 
adding that legislation pushed by DeSantis has a chilling effect because adding that legislation, because professors fear harsh repercussions for their teachers, for their teachings. In August, the ACLU, the ACLU of Florida, the Legal Defense Fund, and a national law firm filed a lawsuit against the legislation on behalf of a group of students and educators. The ACLU suit argued that the law violates the First and Fourteenth Amendments as well as the Equal Protection Clause. The Stop Woke Act limits professors to one perspective, only that the Florida legislator likes about systemic racism and sexism, said Leah Watson, a senior staff attorney with the ACLU Racial Justice Program. In many instances, as our professor plaintiffs have shown, this viewpoint isn't even supported by years of research or scholarship on behalf of academics. And I read all of this, William, because it's this last sentence that matters. And if you remember, we talked about this on the show last year. This, this ACLU lawyer said, in many instances, as our professor plaintiffs have shown, this viewpoint isn't even supported by years of research or scholarship on behalf of academics. So here's the issue, right? I 100% agree you can't start censoring what can be taught in school, right? That is against the First Amendment, right? Uh, it also is against what the purpose of education is. However... The issue here is not the teaching of, and again, William, this is what I said last year, if you remember, and back me up or correct me, depending on if you remember if I said this or not, right? The issue is not the teaching of social justice. The issue is not the teaching of systemic racism, right? The issue is the endorsement of it, Yeah. right? You should teach all of it. Teach all of it. Say, this is what social justice is. This is what social justice is. This is what critical race theory is the word I'm looking for. This is what critical race theory is. This exists. This is a viewpoint that people hold. You decide for yourself whether you agree with it or not. The issue is the quote. This viewpoint, DeSantis's viewpoint, isn't even supported by years of research or scholarship on behalf of academics. So the issue, William that the ACLU is putting forward is not a freedom of speech issue. It's they want to be able to indoctrinate their students, indoctrinate the students. And that is where the issue becomes, because then we have two groups struggling over how to properly use government to enforce their viewpoint. And isn't that what we don't want government to be doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I I look at this and now I haven't read the law, but I'm even confused on if Florida is saying, if you want to take this money, you must do certain things. This is exactly how we got CRT and wokeness in the first place, right? Yes. And, and they're so, doing what CRT yeah. and wokeness did to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. So there, so I would, I, I'm, uh, I'm a little conflicted here because it, it's not exactly a freedom of speech issue when you're saying, Hey, if you take state money, you must do these things, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, right. Uh, well, yeah, so what you're fundamentally saying is the state in itself, its mere existence, contradicts the First Amendment. Yeah, but when 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 the state is educating, it it will always conflict with the First Amendment. Like it will always. 
Yeah, I just took that argument to the extreme, and I, I said by the state merely existing, it contradicts the First <laughs> yeah. Amendment. I mean, think about crying a fire in a crowded theater, right? Is that not the contradiction of the First Amendment? But you're making that illegal for the sake of protection. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think also there's there's an aspect of this is a religion, and and the the term indoctrination is really what it should be fought. And, I, like, I, I, again, I haven't read this bill, but I can imagine this is the error that a lot of Republicans make, and DeSantis makes this error, to, error too, is not treating this like a religion. And I mean that literally. We should be we should declare it a religion and then then it all of a sudden these protections can start to come into place and they make a lot more sense. You can teach about Christianity Christianity in in a you know government funded school, but you can't uh uh you know uh, convert people to Christianity, right? Like that that's yeah, not gonna, allowed. So I'm gonna take a little bit of a more extreme angle on what you're saying. Should we not only have written into our constitution separation of church and state, but also separation of philosophy and state? Now, I understand this is one of the most difficult parts of teaching, right? And I explained it to my kids, how many, my students, how many actually understand. At a certain level, it's impossible for me to act without tacitly endorsing a philosophy, right? I mean, you have to, like, that's the way human life works. However, is there a value to, as I do with my students, say, Hey, you decide for yourself. Is there a value to also saying, you know, we're not going to endorse a certain philosophy with our government. We're going to have separation of philosophy and government just as we have separation of church and government. Yeah, I think there has to be a for 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 a civilization to function, even even with a good constitution, there still has to be um, a philosophy in place with most of the people. Yeah. So right. I don't think you can separate them then that way. But <clears throat> I mean, you can certainly talk about separating economics and education and religion all from state, right? Those can all be separated, I think. Yeah. And I mean, Midsider Lucid saying that in the chat as well is how do you develop a system of government without a philosophy? Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's impossible for me to teach without endorsing, you know, objective morality, right? And the idea that truth is objective and not subjective, right? Necessarily based upon how I, I teach, I I have to endorse that, right? Yeah, Otherwise, yeah. I would teach differently. However, I still, when I teach, am aware that I am coming from a perspective I endorse, and I, I don't make the students agree with me. I say, hey, you can disagree with this. You can disagree with the way, you can get to a point in your thinking and in your life where you fundamentally disagree with every thing I've taught and how I've taught it. And that that's what I, I'm, I'm positing here, right? The idea of, you know, maybe it's a certain fundamental philosophy we have, but then maybe we say we don't endorse Marxism or we don't endorse, I don't know, it's tough. You, you get what I'm getting at though, right? Yeah, but even, even that, even that what you're trying to say is a philosophy, right? Uh, uh, and, yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, so I don't think you can, I, I don't think you can separate it out. that's what makes this so, so hard, right? And that's what makes this, you know, leading into the next couple of articles here, right? That's what makes this whole discussion hard, right? Because we literally are in a battle for our soul right now, our soul individually and our soul as a nation, where 
the the founding fathers, you know, as Midsider Lucid is saying here, that the, the, the Declaration of Independence is a philosophical statement that led to the U.S. Constitution, 100% correct, completely correct. People who disagree with that philosophy have worked for years to find the cracks and inject to frack into the cracks a different philosophy, right? Essentially yeah. a Marxist philosophy, a collectivist, I mean, essentially a collectivist philosophy versus an individualistic philosophy. And that's what we're seeing here. That is, that is the battle we're seeing here. It is, is, as how do we fight this battle? Because in this article, we're seeing it right in this article. We're seeing it. This, this whole DeSantis stuff where the thing I love about DeSantis, William is he knows the battle. He understands it and he's trying to fight it. The problem is we just don't always agree with his tactics because he's using the same tactics that were used to create the cracks, which our argument is that's only going to further the fissures. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the best, I think the best case here is that they lose this case, but then if that ruling is then applied, it will actually destroy a bunch of woke programs. Right. Well, so, and that's the five D chess argument, right? Yeah, that Daniel yeah. might use. That DeSantis is doing that on purpose to back them into a corner. Yeah, because this the, this is a, a completely valid. Well, I wouldn't say valid. That's not the right word. But this is this is the ta- This is one of the key tactics that they use to do this in the first place, right? Dude, how like how many women's studies majors are there, right? How many social justice majors are there, and how many of those people actually make money afterward? Right. If this if 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 this was a government funded college, the, none of this would would be happening. The, uh, you a privately funded college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a government Say, funded college. Less. I mean, if this if this if 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 those didn't exist, if they, if their their primary right. customer wasn't the government, then this wouldn't be. Yes. If they have to, if they actually had to have outcomes where people had good careers at the end. This wouldn't be the, the these 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 academic niches. It wouldn't be the prevailing uh, scholarship. Wouldn't be in support of CRT because there would be none, right? Right. It wouldn't all be all, well, all these gibberish papers written uh, about CRT. And it's really interesting that you make this public-private distinction because that, to me, transitions exactly into the whole bank thing that issued that happened this week, right? Uh, there was a debate about why the Silicon Valley Bank collapsed. Uh, People were talking about it like crazy. They were like, be worried about your money. Look at your banks, blah, blah, blah. And there was the whole argument whether it was about the philosophy behind it. Right now, of course, the New York Times published an editorial called The Boys Who Cried Woke. And what did we start talking about, William? Right. We started talking about critical race theory and wokeness and social justice. Right. So they would include us in this category of the boys who cried woke. So here's a couple of... um, paragraphs from this opinion piece and we'll see how it links to everything we were just saying if you want to understand the collapse of the silicon valley bank you have to understand the political environment that led congress to loosen regulations on regional banking (laughs) well and this is again this is where it's brilliant right this is the brilliance here they're sliding this in here oh my god they're saying they're saying regulation is necessary here. It's the lack of regulation that's the problem. And tacitly, they're saying, well, social justice, collectivist Marxism is what the answer is. 
So anyway, continuing, you have to understand the interests involved, the ideologies involved, and the personalities involved, like DeSantis, who voted for the deregulation bill as a congressman. Do you like how they slide that in there, too? It's always we have to mention DeSantis. Remember, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. Always link DeSantis. The people who blame wokeness for the collapse of a bank do not want you to understand or even think about the political economy of banking in the United States. Again, William, isn't our arguing (laughs) argument that by looking at the philosophy, you're understanding the political economy of banking? This is this is this is this is a pretty blatant projection again. Like, yeah, like we could actually get into it in a minute. But why the, the how and why this bank actually collapsed and what is exactly what they don't want you to understand? Right. And this is what they're saying. Exactly. You just said they want you to they want to deflect your attention. Well, that's literally what this article says. They want to deflect your attention from the real questions toward a manufactured cultural conflict. And the reason they want to do this is to obscure the extent to which they and their allies are complicit in or responsible for creating an environment in which banks collapse for lack of appropriate regulation. William, go into exactly what you wanted to just you just said you want okay. to go into. Yeah, let's get into what like the environment in which banks collapse. So we print a bunch of uh, uh, fiat money, we stuff it into the banks. Define fiat. Uh, uh, not uh, fiat as in like just made up printed money, right? Just completely printed. Right. Not so it's not anything. money that is inside of a fiat. Like you, it's delivered <laughs> yeah, to you yeah, inside exactly. of a small little car. Exactly. So we get a bunch of fiat money. We print it. We hand it to the banks. And then the banks have to do something with it because we live in a world. There's a bank right now, Custodia Bank, that can't get a federal banking license. You know why, Justin? Because their business model is we keep 100% of your money in at the Federal Reserve. In other words, they don't loan out your money, right? It's 100% reserve. That's actually illegal. They're saying that's dangerous. Those regulars that say that are the ones that were encouraging these banks, Signature Bank and the Silicon Valley Bank, to buy treasuries with the money in order to, because they could not hold it as cash. If they do not hold, they can only hold some some certain percent of money as cash. They have to put it in something. And treasuries are considered safe, right? Except for when the federal government raises the interest rate by like 4% in one quarter, then all of a sudden those... Uh, treasuries that you bought, those long-term treasuries that you bought, are now worthless. And so when they're forced to mark to to sell it, they all of a sudden their balance sheet shows gigantic losses, which cause people to say, "Hey, wait, this is a fractional reserve system. I might not be able to get my money." And they all start pulling their money out, and then you have a bank run. This is all caused by regulation. In if if there was not banking res- re- regulations, you would not most people would not be keeping their money in a fractional reserve bank. They would be in, in a bank like Custodia or others that would be 100% reserve, right? The only time you would you would use a fractional reserve bank is is you would treat it like a loan, right? That that's what people that's that's the that's the truth that is being uncovered here that they're trying to quickly cover back up. When you put money okay, in a so, bank, Justin, you're loaning it to the bank, right? You're loaning so your money to the bank. That's what I wanted to. That's what I wanted to do here. Let's ex, let's do let's do simplify this. Okay, let's simplify this. There are two possible methods of banking. Maybe there are more. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to say the two methods. Either there's the method where the bank keeps all of your money on hand so that if you want all your money, you can take it out. Yep. Or there's the the second method where you give them your money. They tell you 
they owe you your money. There's a certain percentage that's on hand, but the rest is loaned out so the bank can make money off of your money. Yes. Are those the two possible methods? Those are the two possible methods. You're saying, based on the regulation that exists, in order for banks to exist, they have to do the loaning method. Yes. It is required. Right. They will not allow and, these banks that want to open uh, that would be 100% reserve. They will not allow them to open. They say they are right. dangerous and risky. Because, well, that's, before we get into because, then you're saying Silicon Valley Bank collapsed because of the rules set by the government affected their ability to loan money, which affected the value of the money people were putting in. So people pulled their money out so they didn't lose value by loaning it out to the Silicon Valley Bank. Right. Okay. Now, the argument government makes in order to secure their own power is it's dangerous to have banks that are completely just holding on to your money. And obviously, they make that argument because that takes away from government's regulation power over that money. Right. Now, let me ask you, William, in the case of the bank not doing loans, but the bank holding on to 100% of your money, how does the bank make money in that instance? Well, in the olden days, they would charge you a fee for holding your gold, ah, right? Or they would offer gold. or right. offer other services, right? I think Custodia's right. business model, I don't know exactly because due to government regulations, since they don't have a license, they can't tell you how they plan to make money. Think about that, Justin. Right. Unless you're an investor in, that, in the company, until they have a banking license, they can't explain to anyone their business model. Um, right. Now we're going to add in the layer of wokeness, okay? <laughs> All of this makes me think of the 08 economic decline and the collapse of the housing market because with this government involvement, the loans were being forced to be given out. Remember? They said, oh, you can't look at the amount of risk you're taking on by giving out this loan. So they started giving out riskier loans to people who would be unable to repay it. And of course, when those loans can't be repaid, if you've given your money to a bank and they can't get the money back, they loaned out, what happened to your money? It's gone. And then the entire economy goes down. That's what happened in 08, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, isn't that a result of social justice? Isn't that a result of critical race theory? Yeah, yeah. Saying these people are unable to repay loans because of systemic methods of oppression. Yeah. And therefore, we have to give them loans anyway in order to make society more equitable. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think I I don't know if this I don't know if this particular instance. Well, I'll ask I'll, I'll ask you, Justin. So, remember when inflation was just uh, transitory? Was the word right? It was going to be brief and transitory, right? That's when these banks started buying these long term treasuries because they 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 bought into what the Fed said that the inflation was going to be transitory, right? So then they buy all these long term treasuries, and then what? Not a month later, Yellen uh, increases the interest rate by four percent. So now they're fucked, right? So they made a bad decision, right? Independently on their own. But the moral hazard was created by the government here, right? They're forcing you. You have to do something. You can't just hold on to this money. Your reserve must be a certain percent and no higher. And uh, I think uh, the the two funniest things about this situation, Justin, you know, Jim Cramer, the guy that does Mad Money on CNBC, he's uh, basically you just pick the there's a there's a fund that you can invest in that just picks the opposite stock picks of what uh kramer picks and it makes a lot of money um well he he endorsed signature bank and our silicon valley bank i think um i think 
either it's either Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank was like uh, had this glowing article about how uh, they're like the best bank of the world or whatever, like like weeks before the collapse. Um, so and there's one other peel back the onion thing that I think is going on here too. Silicon Valley Bank was had a solvency issue, like they had a they 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 were illiquid, right? Like they didn't have enough cash, and then all of a sudden they became insolvent. Signature Valley Bank was starting to have a liquidity issue, and then the government just stepped in right away. And now you may say, "Oh, they're try- trying to stop contagion or something like that." There's a lot of uh, conspiracy talk. These were involved in um, Bitcoin and crypto related. Uh, businesses and there's a lot of talk of this is like the signature bank in particular um, is is a power play before the uh, central bank digital currency stuff that they want to do starting this summer they want to they want to start trying to do that this summer so that's an interesting take as well yeah I mean that's a little above my pay grade. I mean, yeah. when we start talking about like the crypto stuff, that's more your experience and everything. Well, what's interesting to me is that this is a cultural conflict. This is a philosophical conflict, as we were just saying about everything is founded on a philosophy. Yeah. Yet they're saying um, the the right is trying to blame it on wokeness and wokeness has nothing to do with it, which wraps into the final thing I wanted to talk about. Um, I wanted to talk about this other trend you noticed this week and then when i googled it it was all over the place right you you said an article from the atlantic saying you can't define woke right remember you put that in the group thread yep and then i defined it well yeah and then we both defined it right <laughs> so our combination definition of woke right and i'm scrolling up in the thread right now so woke is the concept of being aware of the systems of oppression that exists in our society which causes you to be unable to define what a woman is. That's our definition. <laughs> That's of our woke. definition. I think. I think it. I think it works. Uh, I, I think uh, everyone in Discord, uh, uh, let us know your definition of woke. But uh, I, I think uh, we we com- we combined our definition. I think Justin originally, you know, you you you, you could kind of tell Justin's parts a little more philosophical. Mine is a little more practical. Uh, you know, if if you simply can't define woman, then you're either a child or you're woke. Yeah. And and it all comes down to the concept of, you know, what woke actually is, right? Woke means being awake, right? And the whole idea is if you say you're woke, that means you're awake to the way society actually is, right? Which is, you know, woke is the left version of taking the red pill, right? Yeah. It's the idea yep. that you, you've been awoken to the way the world actually is. It's, and to it's, them, also, it's, it's, also, it's also much like the Christian born again. You're born again, right? You right. see the world in a different way. You've been right. washed clean. Well, in this case, you've been wash clean of your sins in the in the practical sense but you go around confessing your sins constantly right it's more catholic than anything yeah if you're if you're white and you're woke it's more catholic than anything right if if you're uh if you're a victim of the system of oppression it's more i don't even want to say catholic it's just you know that's where victim culture comes from right but the idea is you know you're awake to the reality of what's going on, right? The systemic oppression. This is social justice. This is critical race theory, right? So it's interesting to me that the Atlantic is saying you can't actually define woke. 
And then I found an article from Salon, which I'm going to read a few paragraphs from, which says why the GOP is obsessed with woke but can't define it. So part of the narrative this week, William, is, oh, they're blaming the bank collapse on wokeness, but also they can't define wokeness, which before we even get into what they're actually arguing isn't it absurd to be saying woke can't be defined? Isn't woke one of the most clearly defined things in the past 10 years? Yeah. Or am I crazy? Is this just us in our podcast perspective again? I don't know. Maybe I I think that I think that some normies might have a, you know have to think about it or may not have like a working definition, but they they but that's they would more approach it on a sense of life level, right? Where they would say because you see this a lot, uh, you know, I see this a lot in lazy uh, film criticism. They'll say, oh, it's just woke, right? Um, and and sometimes some of the things are woke, but they're not necessarily uh, terrible. Uh, woke and terrible think like Velma or, uh, I don't know, there's uh, the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power stuff, right? Um, but I think I think people could define it more on a sense of life level, Uh pretty well like i i don't know that this is a controversial definition right it's not like other things that we that 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 people have you know that uh uh people people talk about uh scott adams talks about the the two uh you know two perspectives that the 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 two films people are watching different films um i don't think it's i don't think woke is that i think even on the left people know what is woke because you have people on the left uh to be clear, woke is on the left, but it is not all that is on the left, right? There are people yeah. on the left that also reject some of this woke shit. Right. Well, and I think that with what you're saying, there's a level of treating everyone like they're a kid. And what I mean by that is, like you said, one of the ways you can't define woke is being a kid. I mean, I had a student once call me woke, right, based on what I was saying in the classroom. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not woke. Because... When you just think of the concept of being awake to the way the world really works, like you could see woke on that very shallow level. Yeah. yeah. Do you see what I mean? And that's what they're claiming everyone is doing. So so let's look into well, what one, this one more from one Solana more said. one more attempt at, yes. at refining our definition before we get into the quotes. In the eighties and nineties we had the religious right and all mm-hmm. the problems that that caused culturally. You know, uh we see the same that woke is the religious left. And it's the same. It's funny. It's the same issues. It's uh, violence in video games, sex and violence in video games is a problem. Um, you know, not yeah. having enough representation, right? The, the religious right wanted to make sure everyone was Christian. That was uh, you know, how many Christians can we get elected to the House of Representatives, right? Um, and oh, is Mormon Christian enough, right? All these other uh, other questions. Um, and we see the same thing on the left, right? We, you know, is is this person woke enough? You know, are they black LGBTQIA plus enough, right? right. How many checkboxes do they have? Right. So we've clearly defined woke now. We've defined the issues with it, uh, the consequences of it. But they're claiming the inability to define woke is a feature, not a bug. So they're saying intentionally people can't define woke. They don't want you to be able to define woke. Woke is very much meant to be a word that cannot be pinned to a definition. Its emptiness is what gives it so much power as a propaganda term. Woke is both everything and nothing. It can mean whatever you need it to mean, and you can deny that it means what it obviously means. The ephemerality of woke is what makes it so valuable. Woke 
morphs into being when a right winger needs to feel outrage and evaporates into thin air should anyone try to ask a rational question about it. Justin, how so about we replace the, in the, that, that paragraph? How about we replace the word woke with far right or racist or sexist or, uh, or bigot? Or, yeah, or white supremacy. Yeah, white supremacy. It's the same. This, right. this is right. mad projection. Right. Well, I think that's uh, one of the motifs of this episode of our podcast is everything that's being said against one side is what's going on with the other. So here we go. It wasn't so long ago that woke was a slang term from black America and it meant something substantive and easy to define. Where's black America on the map? Right. To be woke was to refuse to be complacent about social injustice. This definition offended Republicans whose very existence depends on complacency in the face of social injustice. Oh man. So as an act of very racist revenge, they appropriated the term woke, turning it into a catch all insult for anything that annoys them. So woke is the capital the right of black this. America. Woke is the capital of black America. I really think that what happened, William, was people that the right disagreed with started calling themselves woke. So the right started saying, oh, OK, well, that's a very easy way to identify who we disagree with. I think they get this completely backwards here. What do you think? Yeah, this was a, this was definitely a, oh, I'm woke and I'm better than you. That's how this started. Like, right. are we just pretending like that didn't happen? Are there, are there kids these days? Am I that old, Justin, that I remember this? And, and now we're just writing articles like it never happened. Well, they that's what the next paragraph is. This, is this was in college, Justin, in the, in the 2000s. People were calling themselves yes. woke. Correct. And that's part of why we're so able to be able to see that and things are so transparent to us because we live through this. I mean, I went to Ithaca College when this was bubbling up. I remember, I, I remember, I remember the BAM leader, by any means necessary, uh, a social justice advo- uh, 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 agitator on campus, calling herself woke. That was on her campaign for to be president of the uh, student association or whatever. Right. Well, and and they they take this in this article and they go further back with it. This is hardly the first time that Republicans have latched onto deliberately amorphous terms to convey a sense of outrage while evading responsibility to define what exactly the hell they are on about. Marxism, socialism, political correctness, demonic, sexualization. The world of right-wing propaganda is rife with terms that have been appropriated and rendered meaningless, allowing conservatives to apply them to everything. Our Republican loves an empty signifier. Specificity invites rational discourse, and rationality is the death of reactionary politics. So, I mean, let's take Marxism, for example, right? That's a term I've used on this episode, right? This paragraph essentially makes it so I can't ever critique anything for being Marxist, which then means Marxist thought can be forwarded and repeated without it being called out for what it is. This way of critiquing this use of language is, is in itself a propaganda technique. Do you see that, William? Yeah. They're yeah. making it so we can't call something Marxist. And there's, there's, a smear of truth. there's a smear of truth in here, right? But beside the pro- projection, right? Yes, there are terms that the, the political right uses that have lost all meaning, right? Like that, that is a true thing. But to say that's unique to the right is the, is the issue here, right? Other than the fact that it's all just projection. This is exactly the Solinsky playbook of how to redefine language, right? This is, this is exactly, this is writing. They're writing this as if they don't do this when this is their playbook. This is their way of doing things, their primary way of doing things. Right. And now, now 
Are you ready for it to be wrapped bank in right wrapped bank wrapped back into the bank collapse? Oh baby, let's go. The near infinite inf- the near infinite flexibility of woke as a concept is why it was so useful to Republicans trying to deflect attention from their role in deregulating banks, which likely contribu- contributed to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. To charge wokeness for the bank's collapse allows Republicans to both pin the blame on women and people of color while claiming they are doing no such thing. Uh, this became Justin, <laughs> there were women and people of color on the board of directors and in the risk department of these banks. I blame but those people. They were obviously fighting <laughs> I don't, oppression. I don't care whether they were people of color or LGBTQIA plus in the, in the risk department of these banks and in the leadership position, the board of directors, CEO. But yeah, I'm going to blame those people. Now, I'm not a Republican, so maybe I shouldn't uh, take this charge and, uh, seriously. But uh, yeah, I'm going to blame them. They, they don't get off because they're women and people of color. But they would even say to you, you're equivocating on the word Republican and right wing when you clearly are exhibiting those things. So you've made those worms meaningless as it will try to weasel out <laughs> of these attacks. Yeah, See yeah. how I just used their argument? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you're saying is it's the part of the fault falls on the risk assessment and on the board of the bank. Therefore, we're going to blame those people. Those people happen to be black, LGBTQ+, women, female, whatever terms we want to use, therefore we're blaming them. But we're not blaming them because they're women or people of color. Yes, that's your argument? Yeah, yeah. Right. So well, this well, became... Go, they're, go they're, they're woke, right? The, the people <gasps> laughing at, at the bank people is because they're woke. Right. This this shouldn't happen. Right. They 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 believe in bank regulation. They 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 you're not they, allowed to say that this article clearly says you're not allowed to say <laughs> that. Allowed. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So to, to, to continue and finish this bank became or this bank, this became comically obvious in the Wall Street Journal article by Andy Kessler, in which he noted that SV. SVB board is 45% women. They also have one black, one LGBTQ plus. And while I'm not saying 12 white men would have avoided this mess, but the company may have been distracted by diversity demands. That is a hundred percent true statement. They talked nothing, but uh, they were <clears throat> making the case about how, how cool they were. They were, they were the number one bank baby and everyone should invest in them. And they have this great business model and, and look how diverse we are, and our diversity is our strength. They, they, shouldn't their diversity have prevented this? All, all the regulation and the oversight that they are constantly involved in, shouldn't that have prevented this? I think that's that, that's the part that they can't get over. That's the part that ribs them, right? Is the right. people laughing at their focus. Uh, how hard must it be to find qualified women who are willing to take up the board of directors of some community bank, Right. That that's already a, a let me put it this way: how many how many female NFL coaches uh, could you find if if the NFL had to be forty five percent women? Well, isn't this the issue they already have with the Rooney Rule? Yeah, yeah, right. And it should be easier to find more black coaches, right? Because I mean, what percentage yeah. of the the league is is black players, right? But that that's the problem they're having, and I'm sure I'm sure at a certain point they'll have a Rooney rule as well. But this is the argument against it, right? And this is the argument where they're saying wokeness is the problem. Should the essential concern of a bank be 
diversity, social justice, or should the essential concern of a bank be protecting your money and using it to make money, more money for all of us? Yeah. Yep. Right. And this, this goes back to what we said earlier in the episode. And this is why they're making it so woke and Marxist are dirty words that you can't say them or you're revealing your own intellectual deficiencies, right? It's the idea that in Batman versus Superman, where Superman was critiqued, where every act on this planet is a political act. So then necessarily, if every act is a political act, you necessarily have to make the treatment of the oppressed your number one concern. Right. Because you have to be just. Yeah. And so social justice has to become your more concern. And what kind of a perspective is that, William? That is a Marxist perspective. The idea that it's class warfare constantly and that you always are going to be involved in that class warfare. And if you're not on the good side, you're on the bad side. And the bad side is the oppressor and the good side is the oppressed. Is that not? And have they not through everything we've seen in this article twisted this to make it so you feel intellectual, social, and moral pressure in order to accept being woke without realizing you're accepting being woke. Yeah, yeah. They've turned into witnessing, the the, the, the people witnessing the farce of this woke uh, board of directors into a hate crime against the, the woke. Well, you can't call them woke. Right. A hate crime against right. the chosen people. Right, they have essentially made it so... It's, it's, and this is something Ayn Rand wrote about, right? This is sanction of the victim. They have made it so they want you to feel guilty for witnessing the farce. That if you are witnessing the farce, you are participating in the oppression in the classist warfare system. Yep. See how they did that? Witness the farce. It's entirely, incredibly important in the number one way. They are going to try and get you to give you their sanction. And the only way you can withdraw it is to laugh at them. And that is why witnessing the farce is so important. And sanctioning means you feel guilty about not having their approval. And the only way to do that is to laugh at them and say your approval isn't worth anything. Speaking of which, let's talk about one of the main methods in which they forward their way of making you feel guilty and wanting their approval art let's do it in the hopeful bromantic with jml As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us during the week, you can do so by joining our Discord channel. We love to hear from you. We love to have you drop stories in there, or you know, you can listen to us record live as Midsider Lucid is doing right now. All you have to do is go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast, click on any episode link, and in there is a link to join our Discord channel. For this week, for the review, I'm going to talk about Shazam! Fury of the Gods. This is, of course, the sequel to Shazam! starring Zachary Levi, in which a wizard gives a young boy powers, 
and he turns into an adult superhero. Zachary Levi, of course, plays the adult superhero. And uh, the sort of conceit of the movie is that it's a, a child as an adult who's a superhero. So there's sort of like a meta self-awareness of what's going on. It's sort of almost like a more innocent Deadpool in a way. Uh, The first movie didn't make a lot of money. And if you remember, it was enjoyable. But I said the issue was there was like the collectivism of family underneath of it where he was obligated to his family no matter what. And there's an interesting sort of motif in this movie as well with that where the main character, Billy Batson, who becomes Shazam, uh, is going to turn 18 and he's worried he's going to be kicked out of his foster home and lose his foster family. And because of that, he's trying to keep the Shazam team together. And then, of course, uh, the villains are the gods. They're the, the daughters of Atlas. I don't know if that's intentional or not um, in regards to the whole... You know, I don't want people to read objectivism and anti-objectivist themes into this. I think this is a very mixed movie. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, now I remember. Uh, so the the daughters of Atlas come because the wizard who gave Shazam the powers, who gave Billy Batson the powers, shut down their realm because they were using it for nefarious purposes, and they feel like humans stole their powers and they don't deserve the power of the gods. So there's a whole mythological element to it. And that, that goes into my um, my review here, right? my one-sentence review from Letterboxd. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is best understood as a mashup of a Marvel movie and a Harry Potter movie that flies headfirst into its Snyderverse roots in its climax. It's hard to look at a movie like this without accepting that it was made and developed during the previous era of DC when they were still struggling whether to have Zack Snyder involved or not. You know, now it's James Gunn is involved and he's in charge of everything. But this movie, you know, it's it starts out very much like a Marvel movie where a lot of humor that undercuts scenes. But then there's the whole magical element of it. I mean, there's literally a character that's not a character in this movie. And what I mean by there, this, that is there's a pen they call Steve that gives them information and dictates, or they dictate to it, and it, it, the pen writes out different letters. So there's a lot of Harry Potter elements to it. So it's it's imaginative and it's enjoyable. But then you get to the end, and in order to save his family, Billy has to sacrifice himself for his family now this is where we get into the the sort of the head first into the Snyderverse thing I mean spoiler if you want to hit the button there's walkers in the barn and Lori's pregnant after the climax Gal Gadot shows up as Wonder Woman and everything so there are elements of that but there are also elements of like is this a true sacrifice in the Christian or woke sense right because yeah he does give his life but he gives his life because if he doesn't, everyone he loves, his family is going to die. So is that a true sacrifice or is that fighting for your values? And that's the question the Snyderverse put on the table, right? That Zack Snyder put on the table and very clearly answered in Batman versus Superman that the, you know, woke Hollywood didn't want you to answer. Right. Because Will Hollywood just wants you to sacrifice because that's what you're morally obligated to do. And that's why this movie is tough. 
this movie is tough because, and I mean tough isn't like how much to like it or not, because there's literally a scene early in the movie where they're not fighting a bad guy. It's just the bridge is collapsing, and they spend like five minutes showing them saving all the people from the bridge collapsing, which is not interesting to watch. Like, I'm like to be like, oh, okay, get these people from this side of the bridge to the other side of the bridge, and then have all the people get mad at them for not being able to stop the bridge from collapsing. Like, it's it's very sort of boring uninteresting honestly woke storytelling and then you've got the storytelling of well is this you know is this what someone with power should do or not i don't know i mean ultimately he his sacrifice you know at least at the end of batman versus superman superman stayed dead right here he didn't right they brought him back to life so this exists somewhere in between avengers endgame and it exists somewhere below um, Batman versus Superman and Zack Snyder's Justice League, right? It's somewhere in between there. Is it enjoyable? Yeah, there's a lot of enjoyable stuff about this movie. And honestly, it's probably the best movie I've seen so far this year. But I mean, if you look at the list of movies I've seen so far this year, it's not like... Hold on, let me pull up my list of movies I've seen so far this year. So I've seen 10 movies so far this year. I mean... Magic Mike's Last Dance, Megan, Missing, Your Place or Mine, <laughs> You People, Shotgun Wedding, 80 for Brady, Scream 6, Knock at the Cabin, Shazam, Fear of the Gods. It's not like there's been an amazing movies released this year. So I don't want you to think this is some like huge endorsement of um, this movie. But yeah, it's enjoyable. You're not going to hate watching it. And it it's just it's a very mixed movie. Does that make sense, William? Yeah, it makes sense. Well, it makes sense because wasn't the leadership of DC very mixed? They didn't know where they were going and what they were doing. Yeah, they have no sense of direction right now. We're going to have James Gunnify everything going forward. Yeah. So, yeah, who knows? At least that's a sense of direction, though, right? True, true. I'm reminded of the quote, which is one of my favorite quotes, for, and it's from um, The Big Lebowski. Uh, say what you want about National Socialism, but at least it's a fucking ethos. Right, Say what you want about Marvel, but at least Marvel knows what Marvel is. You know what I mean? You know what you're getting with Marvel movies. Yeah. And that's part of why Marvel's been so successful. DC, hopefully, finally will figure it out. But this one, you know, Zach Levi, I think, sort of in the... This is the final note I'll say. Sort of in the way Ryan Reynolds was born to play Deadpool, I think Zach Levi was born to play Shazam. Like, he fits the role perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to movies that are going to come out. Trailer takedown. I always post the trailers. Usually, I post them in Discord, usually the Saturday before we record. That's so you can watch them in whatever order you want. Maybe you watch all the trailers. We talk about them. We talk about the trailers. You watch them. Or, you know, you watch a trailer. We talk about it. You watch a trailer. We talk about it. Trailer takedown. First trailer. Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, is a DreamWorks animated movie about a Kraken who is masquerading as a teenage girl in order to protect against the mermaid who is masquerading as a teenage girl. As you see here, sort of like Shrek, they're inverting um, the, the traditional evil good dynamic, right? The idea that the mermaid is now evil, even though she's beautiful, and the Kraken is now good, even though the Kraken is ugly. 
uh, and it, they're setting it in the traditional high school mean girl um, dynamic conflict. Now, this is where I have trouble, right? Because I love Shrek, but my biggest problem with Shrek was that she became the ogre at the end. Right. That's where we fir- I think Shrek is where we first started seeing sort of the seeding of this social justice stuff that really beauty is evil because it, it, it symbolizes that you are an oppressor. Right. And I think that's what they're doing here with mermaids. Right. In the year 2023, how do I look at this and not say, oh, well, this is endorsing wokeness. Right. By saying, oh, well, you need to be woke enough to realize the ugly Kraken is actually the good guy because she's the one helping the oppressed. How do I not read that into this? It seems very obvious. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this is this is Beautiful is Evil, the movie. And it's actually I I I'm not even a fan of the animation either. I don't think there's any reason to watch this. Tackle. Tackle. Second trailer. Joyride is the typical Road Trip movie. Road Trip is the word I was looking for. Except this time it stars four Asian American women. Right? And I say Asian American. I Actually, I don't want to say Asian American. I think one of them might not be American. It might just be Asian. The dead eye one. But none of that matters. Right? None of that matters because remember the same critique I had about 80 for Brady where I was like, oh, it's a road trip movie but about old ladies. Right? Yeah. This is a road trip movie. It's just about Asian Asian Americans. And of course... Even in this trailer, it has to have drugs in it. There is a kernel of interestingness in this. The idea that, and they toyed with this too. This is what made um, Crazy Rich Asians an interesting movie. Because Crazy Rich Asians was an Asian American woman trying to marry an Asian guy. And when I say Asian, I mean he was from Singapore, right? And what were the cultural differences there with her American identity and American culture versus someone with the culture in Singapore, right? Well, here they have an element of that, like, oh, are you really Asian if you don't know where you come from type deal? They have that line in there. But then why are you couching it in this very just terrible way of making movies, right? This terrible story dynamic. Uh, Maybe if I'm being super generous, William, Maybe that's the point. Maybe there's just going to be a meta self-awareness of the road trip type movie. And they're saying, why are we participating in this destructive American tradition in this type of road trip? But I don't think so. I think this is trying to fit this story into, dare I say it, the, the conventional woke way of making movies. Now it's trendy to put Asians in movies. So we're going to take this old dynamic of the road trip and we're just going to make it about Asian women. Tackle. Tackle. Insert lazy Asian driving joke here. Yeah, this was, this was boring. This, there are, there are good road trip movies. Why are we remaking a thousand road trip movies? Will there be Justin? I predicting it now. There will be a gay road trip movie. That no one will watch, and it, you'll be uh, homophobic for not watching it. Before you hit the button, first of all, I agree with you, but it has to do with the success of the Hangover trilogy. All right. I'm going to tackle. Tackle. Third trailer. Air is Ben Affleck's latest directorial film. Directorial project is a better way of saying it. And it's about the creation of the Air Jordan 
it's it's back then it stars him and Matt Damon and Nike's not doing well and they decide hey we're gonna back Michael Jordan before he even steps on the court in the NBA and we're gonna make a uh, a shoe around him and they're saying this is the reason for Nike's success here is my entire problem with this trailer why does the actor why does the character playing Michael Jordan not appear in this trailer they're showing them trying to make a deal with Michael Jordan by interacting with his mother. Now, Viola Davis is a great actress. Her talent is undeniable. But if the movie is about courting a legend, that's what it's called, air courting a legend, how does the legend not appear in the trailer? And how do you court him as an adult male, right? Because he's done with college at this point by dealing solely with his mother. Well, William, you want to know what the answer is? What is it? Wokeness, right? Ah, She's a black woman, so we have to deal with her, not her son. And women don't need no man to do no thing. Right. So, I don't know. That's that's the the number one thing. Every time I see this trailer in theaters is, why do I not see the actor playing Michael Jordan? And why are they not talking to him directly in the trailer? Isn't that where the conflict is? Trying to convince him? Isn't that what the movie should be about? Not trying to convince his mother? Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this this definitely hits all the woke storytelling beats, right? And that uh, you you have to know that the men will not be an issue. Like they 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 will not be the primary driver. It will be the mother who saves Nike. Tackle. Final trailer. BlackBerry is similar to Air and similar to Tetris in that it tells the behind the scenes true story of the creation of the BlackBerry phone and how it influenced society. It stars Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton, who are two very talented actors who I enjoy. Right, Glenn Howerton is in uh, AP Bio, which is a great show. Jay Baruchel, I mean, there's a lot of stuff he's been in that that I've really liked. He was in the great uh, underappreciated show Man Seeking Woman, which was a, a very entertaining show. Um, he really focuses on, you know, making movies that he wants to see and making movies that Hollywood isn't making as much, which is kind of ironic that he's in this movie. Cause as I said, this is like the same movie as air and the same movie as Tetris. It's just except about Blackberry. And also why didn't they just shoot this in black and white? Like the color is completely drained from the cinematography of this movie. And as good as the acting looks in this, it, this just doesn't seem interesting. Tackle. Tackle. I was thinking about they've done they they kind of stylized the costuming too, right? To to, yes. to bring out the bring out to, to to accentuate the the time period, right? But it it's almost out of place, right? Like I, I'm trying to think back, like you're draining the color out of the film, but then you're doing all this stylized costuming like that are super colorful. And like, like, I don't know people dressed like that, but not all at once in in the same room. And I'm not making a naturalistic argument here. I'm just saying the conflict between are, are we doing this stylized or are we like taking the color out of it and trying to be naturalistic? What are we trying to do here? Which is it? I'm going to tackle. Tackle. I think we both did the four, uh, for yeah. Tackle rule. Yeah, we did. Oh, 
Oh no. Uh, it's, it's really, really tough, right? It's really, really tough, right? Because let's look at each of them, right? So with Teenage Kraken, right? Like, that's probably going to be popular. So it's important to know, like, what kids are seeing know. and what ideas know. are being the taught. The comments are turned off and, and on, on that video. So I'm thinking that it must not be. If it was going to be, okay. if it's being well received, the comments wouldn't be turned off. That's a fair point. And also, you have to consider it, it might end up in a universal park at some point. Um, but that's an interesting point. The second one, like, if you just were like, here's a movie about four Asian women, like, okay, like, I kind of want to see that, right? Then yeah. then the third one, like, it's Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, like, they're talented, right? And then the final one, I already said, like, the cast is great, right? So there are positives about each of them. It's just which positive are you going to trust if you're being forced to trust one? Yeah. Man, I think maybe I would cho- choose BlackBerry only because that is a technology story and I would I, I would at least appreciate laughing at how they're going to fuck up uh, the technology story, right? It's like car movies. Most car movies uh, are movies that have cars in them, have like messed up things in them, right? I'll just be able yeah. to enjoy it at that level. I don't know, Justin, what about you? Uh, I mean, I think BlackBerry as well. I think I would just have to go with Jay Baruchel and Glenn Howerton, right? If I'm yeah. going to give someone a chance, isn't it someone who... You know, I've liked all his previous stuff. I mean, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are great, but they've proven to have leftist perspectives. So am I going to go with them or am I going to go with the guy who I've pretty much enjoyed most of what he's done before? So I'm just going to trust that when he read the script, there was something in there that he liked. And I would like that, too. That brings us to the end of our trip. What did we learn, William? I learned that uh, the religious right and the woke are uh, have similar tactics, and uh, and we have history repeating itself. Justin, what did you learn? Uh, I learned that I'm not allowed to witness the forest. That if I witness the forest, I'm a, a far right extremist yeah. Yeah. and a white supremacist. So stop oppressing me. All right, I want to thank you all for listening to the show. If it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking in the corner like a crazy person. It still is, but it makes me feel a little bit less crazy. If you want to support us, you can do so by going to midside.com slash store, picking up some merch, themidside.com slash the cut, pick up my book, or themidside.com slash Patreon, or themidside.com slash locals. That's how we keep the lights on. Or the most important way to grow the show is to tell a friend, especially a female friend, And I'm not talking about one that identifies as a female. I'm talking about an actual female friend. This concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin M. Wazneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Forever purge. Man, with election season coming up, we're going to have to get a lot more DeSantis drops. They're, they're not going to let well, this go, Justin. They're not. And I was just thinking that that Forever Purge one is perfect because it's the gift that keeps giving in the <laughs> sense that everything we were saying is what is they are talking about now. They're trying to make everything that happened in Florida over the past couple of years as it succeeded coming out of the pandemic. 
they were trying to make it into a failure. Yeah, yeah. 